0: Snuff Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's the midterm election time in America, and uh, it leads us to want to learn more, Keith. What better excuse to learn more about the fascinating? Well, let's hope it, it's got the Second Amendment and gun laws and all that kind of thing. So the Constitution's got to be pretty interesting
1: in America. It is. The American Constitution is one of the most remarkable documents in the world. Um, It's one of the oldest constitutions in the world, if not the oldest. um, And it's quoted virtually every day in terms of what goes on in the United States politics. So um, during the election campaign, for example, there was a, a comment made by President Trump that he could overrule the 14th Amendment dealing with birthright citizenship. So he said that even if you are born in the United States you will not get American citizenship. This is his way of, you know, playing the anti-immigration card. The problem is that he can't abolish that. It's written into the Constitution as an amendment. Um, and then, of course, now that the uh, Democrats have got control of the lower house in the midterm elections, they are going to be an investigation of what's called the emolument clause, which hardly anybody's ever heard of. Emolument means uh, receiving payment or titles, from foreign governments. Now, this is
0: interesting. You bring this one up about Trump because that's been headlines a bit lately about his um, overhauling the citizenship system or well, uh, attempting to it, yeah. inciting an executive order in which to do so. But didn't what was also interesting was did you see online? I'm sure you're not into the Twitter thing, but you see that someone tweeted that if his son Barron had been born the, in 2006. Milani had not been a citizen for very long, so potentially Barron wouldn't have been a citizen either, under Trump's laws.
1: Under his law, yeah, Yeah. but, uh, but he cannot abolish that. You've got really three levels of law in the United States. So you've got the Constitution, which includes amendments to the Constitution, then you have the laws passed by Congress, and then you have what are called executive orders. Now, Obama was governing largely through executive orders. Because he couldn't get his legislation through Congress... So it meant, therefore, that he was governing by executive orders, which means that a a later president coming in can simply cancel it. Remember, there was that flurry of excitement on the day of the inauguration when President Trump sat down at that table Mm. and you saw him signing things. He was signing executive orders. So he was cancelling Obama's executive orders. But the problem is that you can't have an executive order that cancels a provision within the Constitution. And so he says he wants to get rid of this 14th Amendment. You can't, unless, of course, you choose to have a referendum and it's a very involved procedure, just like Australia trying to change our constitution. It's very difficult to change the American constitution. And as I say, the other issue that's come to light now with the results coming in and the Democrats getting control of the lower house are the emoluments clause provisions, which relate to a president receiving bribes in the form of either cash or titles uh, from overseas. Now, when that was written in the Constitution, which is 200 years ago, 1787, the United States was a very young, fragile country. And so there was always a risk that you would end up with governments trying to bribe American presidents by giving them titles. That's no longer the case. But there is still the risk of money being paid. And of course, the issue with Trump is that he's running a flourishing real estate empire and all sorts of things. So there's a question about if a president receives money, does that breach that part of the constitution? Barack Obama had this problem right quite early on. He won the Nobel Peace Prize and there were complaints that he was receiving money from a Scandinavian government. In the end, it was ruled that he was fine to take it. I'm not sure what he did with it because he, he didn't really earn it anyway. And but he was
0: aware if, of that at the time yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about the actual document. What's in a constitution? I have
1: a very little idea. Right. So the constitution, this is the second attempt the Americans had at trying to create a constitution. The first one was drawn up during the actual War of Independence. So in 1776, the 13 American colonies rebel against the British and rebel against the rule of King George III. And so um, they then created what were called the Articles of Confederation, So the 13 colonies that came together did not want to create a strong central government, so they created what was called a confederation, which has far less power at the centre. And they then, of course, went on to win their war against the British. And the Articles' confederation just basically failed. Um, And so they had to meet again, uh, and this time in 1787, it's called the Miracle of Philadelphia, Um, and they were able to put together this remarkable constitution. It's um, the world's oldest written constitution, which is still in use. Um, It survived the American Civil War in the 19th century, and it has also contained many features that have been copied in other countries, such as Australia. So one of the things that we see in the constitution is an upper house and a lower house. So the upper house is the Senate, and that's the House of the States, Uh, So every state in America gets two senators, no matter how big or small. So California, with about, I don't know, 30 odd million, 35 million people, they get the same number of senators as Montana or Wyoming, which is about half a million people. So that's the House of the States. And then you have the lower house, uh, the House of Representatives, um, and that's the House of the Peoples. And the constituencies there vary according to the number of people who are living in, in each of those states. So there you have that, that bicameral two-chamber legislation, loosely based on what was then going on in Great Britain, but it was certainly a very interesting idea. Another interesting idea is the idea of division of power. So you have three branches of the US government. So you have the White House, the executive, um, then you have um, the Congress, and then you have the legal system. And those three are designed to always be scheming against each other, which is why we refer to gridlock in Washington. Um, so obviously you could have an American president who can't get legislation through Congress, which is a problem for much of Barack Obama's time in the office, and that may now be the problem for President Trump for his last two years in office. But also you, you have a Supreme Court which could override laws which are seen deemed to be unconstitutional. Um, So it's very interesting, therefore, about how the the Americans, the essence of the the issue is that when the Americans got rid of King George III, created an independent country, they did not want to have another dictator running the United States. That explains the Second Amendment, which is the right to own guns, because they were not going to have a large standing army. As recently as 1940 the army of Greece was larger than the army of the United States. So Americans never had large standing armies. Why? Because they end up oppressing citizens. and We saw that with King George Third. And so you have a right to bear arms, to protect yourself, and save Washington having to have a large army. Of course, that has all changed in recent years with the military-industrial complex. America has changed since 1941. Um, but it's interesting to note that America is very much based on the right of the individual and the devolution of power and hostility towards Washington, D.C.
0: When a court case comes up, you know, like for example, when people, and there's a lot in America, who oppose the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, is there a legal standing because in arguing that these documents were put together so many hundreds of years ago, Keith, would that stand up in a court of law?
1: Yes, because they would simply say, well, it's so inbred into the American DNA. So being old actually helps it to survive.
0: So you can't take this on? Like, you can't take... Can you take on the Australian constitution? Could you try and get constitutional change? I know we're trying to recognise <laughs> exactly. Indigenous, which if the vote done. Which we still happens. haven't.
1: <laughs> I was involved with a campaign to recognise local government. That got nowhere. And, of course, there's been a campaign for Australia to become a republic, and that's got nowhere either. So Australians tend to vote No. You know, the recent same-sex marriage issue, if it had gone to a referendum, would have been lost because you've got a steady group of people who vote no because they don't want to think about the issue, they just vote no. So the same-sex marriage in Australia would have failed if it had been a referendum. Instead, it was a non-binding plebiscite. Um, So in the United States, it's also difficult to amend the Constitution. For example, the most recent attempt to amend the Constitution was what's called the Equal Rights Amendment Act. So this is simply to say that women should be treated the same as men. So the Equal Rights Amendment Act has been trundling on through the US political system now for about half a century and they still cannot get agreement on that. So you've not only got to get Congress to support it, it's also then got to go out to the states and they've got to have their own mechanisms for ratifying it and they have not.
0: That's extraordinary, isn't it? So, just very quickly, sorry, just back on gun laws because it is so much of an interest to everyone else in the world who doesn't have guns. Um, astounding, really. And you wouldn't get a Republican uh, president doing this. But could you, would a Democrat ever try to call for a referendum to change the Constitution to get rid of guns?
1: I think it'll be a waste of time. Everybody realizes that that There's would no not point. succeed, be no point. Really? It's actually a good argument against having an entrenched Bill of Rights. I know that's heresy. You know, I speak as New South Wales Chair of the International Commission of Jurists and we've argued for a Bill of Rights. But I'm saying if you're looking at the alternative point of view, if you have a provision like the right to bear arms embedded within a constitution, it's incredibly difficult to abolish it. Um, And so that is actually an argument against having a Bill of Rights. Now, most of us support having a Bill of Rights, but there is a downside to it because you might end up with a right that you no longer want to have recognised as a right. Right, okay.
0: All right, so back on the equal rights. They don't want them either.
1: (laughs) No, no, they they cannot get that adopted at the state level.
0: Okay, so it's not an issue really of the population being super conservative. It's more about the the document itself, the the
1: constitution. No one wants to change it. It makes it very difficult to try to change it. So you've got the division of power, and what is interesting, of course, is that you've got the the three branches of government that compete against each other. Uh, Now that we've got uh, Brett Kavanaugh as a judge on the Supreme Court, the whole issue of abortion will come up again, inevitably, and my guess, we will see an overturning of the 1973 decision. So, in fact, we will see America change its policy on abortion.
0: Isn't it state by state, anyway?
1: Well, if the Supreme Court outlaws abortion, then that goes right across all other state laws. Uh You cannot adopt a law at state level which is contrary to what you've got at the national level. Uh Now you see the importance of the Constitution. And remember, two-thirds of the world's lawyers live in the United States.
0: Okay, so let's talk about more about the contents of the Constitution. We know the big ones, obviously, gun laws, and we know that. But it's interesting, Keith, because... Americans are possibly the most religious group that you've, well, Christian religious that you've ever met in that, that they... In the
1: Western world.
0: Yeah, because they're constantly quoting God and God save this person and we pray for you and, you know, that's part of everyday vernacular for the majority of Americans, I know particularly, but in movies and you go over there and you hear it all the time, but there's nothing, it's, it's a secular society. It's a
1: secular society. So that goes back again to, to 200 years ago to the formation of the document And so the um, early um, leaders in the United States were called deists. In other words, they believed in a God, but not a God that is present with us here and now. So they are called deists. So, for example, Thomas Jefferson um, went through the Bible cutting out every reference to Jesus creating miracles. So Thomas Jefferson, one of the architects of the document we're talking about, um was someone who believed that there was a God, but God has gone off somewhere else and is doing something different. He, she, or it does not exist in the in the world that we have today, which is a point of view which is contrary to Jews, Christians, and Muslims, right? So that was enlightenment thinking from two hundred years ago. and that's what a lot of Europe a lot of the European thinking class subscribed to this point of view of what's called deism. And so in the United States, you're quite right, there is a separation between church and state. Again, the early architects of that US constitution were people who saw how in Europe you had ruling houses that were linked very closely to churches. The Queen of England, for example, is the head of the Church of England. In Germany, of course, it's the Lutheran Church. So the Americans said, well, we will not have an established religion, uh, but you are free to worship or not worship, as you see fit. Ironically, of all the Western countries, as you say, it's the United States which (laughs) has turned out to be the most religious. Um, And um, so it is very interesting how religion has survived in the United States and is such a potent force in American politics. Maybe it's because of gun laws.
0: You know, everyone has to pray not to get shot.
1: There's so (laughs) many guns. You're being very cynical.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the president who's a monarch through this system.
1: So the president is the monarch. So the best way of trying to understand the president is not as a prime minister, as we understand it. The problem in Australian politics is that we have a presidential system of politics, but a parliamentary system of government. So a lot of Australians just don't understand how our constitution works. So um, the, the prime minister is simply the first among equals in Australia or Great Britain or Canada. But in the United States, the president is elected by the people, and cannot be removed by Congress unless he commits crimes and misdemeanours, and this is what's called impeachment. Actually very difficult to remove a president when you think about what we're like in Australia, getting rid of prime ministers at the rate of, you know, once every 18 months, whereas in America it's very, very difficult to get rid of a, a sitting president because he is directly elected by the general public. And so the best way to understand a president is that he's really a bit like a king or queen. Now ironically the Americans in getting rid of King George III actually created a monarch to govern the country in effect. So the the president is not the first among equals like an Australian prime minister. He actually runs the country as a monarch. He has a cabinet who advises. So it's quite possible and there's a very famous case with Abraham Lincoln where all the cabinet said one thing, and Abraham Lincoln said, well, I'm going to do something else. You do that in Australian politics or British politics, you're out. But in the United States, what they have done is to elect um, a monarch who runs the country with the benefit of advisers who are called cabinet ministers.
0: Right. Okay. I'm trying to get my head around it all.
1: I know. People find have great difficulty understanding the American system if they come out of the Australian system and the Australians have got understanding their own system because they get so much American coverage. <laughs> Let me just, going back to what we were talking about, the right to own guns, etc. when you do opinion surveys in Australia asking them should we have a Bill of Rights, a lot of Australians will say, yes, we already have a Bill of Rights. But no, they don't. But, you see, because they see all these American programs dealing with bills of rights, they assume that we've got our own Bill of Rights, and we don't. Well, that's Interesting. So Mike Pence, what role does he play as the Vice President? So he's Vice President and the Constitution says even less about that role than that of the President. He doesn't have a major role um, guaranteed within the Constitution. Now, Bill Clinton gave a lot of... um, scope to Al Gore, who hosted a a meeting that I was at. So, you know, Gore had a particular interest in the environment and climate change, etc. But it's quite possible that you could have a a vice president who just disappears from history. A good example of this is um, Dan Quayle, who was the vice president for George Bush Senior. Who who can remember him now? Exactly. He just disappears from history. Al Gore has been able to reinvent himself, but Dan Quayle has uh, just simply disappeared. So you have the vice president quite often as a counterbalance to a president, particularly in election campaigns. There's a brilliant movie doing the rounds at the moment called LBJ. It's about Lyndon Johnson and how in the movie, you see John Kennedy quite spontaneously, having just been nominated by the Democrats, then having to find a vice presidential running mate, horrified his brother by going to Lyndon Johnson, this rude, crude, Texan, <laughs> but the value of, is that Kennedy was from the north, Johnson is from the south, and Johnson knew how Congress worked. And, of course, Johnson was one of the great reforming presidents in American history. Most people, of course, remember him because of um, uh, the JFK. Vietnam War. Oh. But, but, of course, he was the one who introduced on the death of, of President Kennedy all the civil rights legislation. Johnson made Barack Obama possible. Well, I did not remember that. No. And yet, and Kennedy was vindicated by Johnson's behaviour because Johnson was able to get the legislation through. Kennedy could not get any legislation through Congress. And yet, following his assassination in 1963, President Johnson kept saying, well, we must do this to honour our fallen president.
0: So when we look at our constitution in Australia and America's constitution, why is theirs so amazing compared to ours?
1: Why is it so amazing? I think yeah. it's because Americans know the document and most Australians have never read their own constitution, which is just as well because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> At the time of the referendum, um, the Australian government sent every Australian household a copy of the constitution, largest mail-out in Australia Post history. They love that contract. Um, my guess is that most people just threw the document away. They didn't bother to read it. Do you have your copy of the constitution? Oh no. No, of course not. You threw it away. Uh, (laughs) there's no reference to cabinet, no reference to a prime minister. So somebody reading the document actually would say, this just doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, And so it's not really a living, vibrant document. You do get arguments over certain provisions, particularly if you've got an interest in law, you love certain aspects of uh, of the constitution. But I've got to say that unlike the American constitution, which has remained very much up to date, it's a vibrant document, as I say, uh, even the, through the midterm elections that we've just gone through, it's being referred to all the time in one context or another. So it is really a remarkable document. As I say, we're uh, going to be back, I think, into further controversy with the attempt to try to reverse the decision over abortion. Um, and that'll be, again, references back to, co- to the Constitution, all sorts of things. So it's a really amazing document um, and I think well worth reading. I realise that's a terribly geeky thing to say. <laughs> but. Uh, Very. Very (laughs) geeky. But it's a a remarkable document. And as I say, it's cast a long shadow around the rest of the world because so many other countries have followed its example. Even the idea of a Bill of Rights, right? That's America's export to the world.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.